This podcast was brought to you by Pastor Mike Calstrip and Fellowship Church. For more information, visit thefellowship.church. Good to see you all this evening. Hope you had a great day today. Did y'all have a good day? Amen. Praise God. Good. You know, this is the day the Lord has made. Therefore, we're going to rejoice and be glad. Amen. And I have good news, but I don't want you to think about it during my message. And that is we have cupcakes following the service tonight. (laughs) Yeah, great. Okay. Well, anyway, let's open our Bibles together. We're going to get into the Word. Uh, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, that's our text that we've been using for this series of lessons. We're going to jump right back into that tonight and uh, see if we can get some, uh, cover some more ground. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, uh, I'll tell you a little story while you're finding that. Uh, We had someone come to our home today that was uh, instrumental in the beginning of our church clear back in 1979. And he he had stopped by, uh, well, his name is Gary Goodall. And he's, uh, he must be what, 90 or something? No, he's, he's, he's up there. He's, he's bumping it, let's put it that way. But anyway, um, he stopped by and he had an article of uh, when uh, uh, myself and Chris Campbell were going to uh, Bible school. It was written up in, uh, I think it was a trainer record or whatever they called it. And it's quite interesting, actually. And uh, I was a lot younger then, too, by the way, maybe 45, almost 50 years ago. But it was really cool. So he, uh, he dropped that off so that we could... Uh, I guess reminisce a little bit about uh, things, how it all got started, let's put it that way. We actually ended up in their home uh, two years later when the church uh, started. This was in 77 and then 79. Uh, We were in one home for three months and then we were in their home for eight months. And then uh, we moved up here to Oakland in December of uh, 1979 when we just had one building, 9,000 square foot. And I can remember we moved in there. We didn't even know what we were going to do with all the space. We thought maybe, you know, we could just maybe rent out the back half and we'd use the front. Didn't have much of a vision, I guess. <laughs> God, God had other things in mind uh, more so than we. But anyway, let's pray and we'll get into the Bible. Hallelujah. Father, thank you. We're so grateful, Father, for this time. We're so thankful for your living word. Thank you for every promise you've made and what it is that you've done and are fulfilling, Father, as a matter of your divine purpose. Father, you said in your word, you know the end from the beginning, so nothing surprises you. And as we come together this evening, Father, we thank you for helping us to build our relationship with you, Father, in a more dynamic and a more foundational kind of way. And so we just thank you that you can be trusted in every way, in every aspect of our lives, and that, Father God, you will bring your blessing to our homes and to our families, to us as individuals, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, faith gives substance to what we hope for. Hope in and of itself, while it's necessary, doesn't get the job done as far as you and I being able to actually realize what it is that God uh, has promised for us in our lives. It takes faith added to our hope to make those things a reality. So again, it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it serves as the evidence of that which is not seen. See, once it comes, you don't need faith because you have it, whatever it is, um, you know. 
But in the meantime, when we're believing God, as the Bible says, and when you stand praying, you know, the scripture makes reference to the fact that, you know, as a matter of petition or prayer that we have before the Lord, that we are to stand. Well, what are we standing on? We're standing on the word. We're standing on God's promise. We're standing on what it is that he said. Hallelujah. So our faith serves as the evidence of that which we do not see until it, whatever it is that we're believing him for, comes. And of course, then again, when we get it, we don't need faith because we've got it. Hallelujah. Amen. So anyway, we won't get into all that and get all messed up. But notice in verse 6 again, it says, but without faith... It is impossible. Everybody say impossible. Yeah, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe, first of all, that he is or that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. How many of you know that God is on your side? I'm telling you what, he's more for you than you are. Hallelujah. And the sooner we come to realize that within our lives, the better off we are. But a lot of folk, they don't know God. Uh, you know, the only way you can come to know God is through the Bible. The Word of God is a self-revelation of God and who He is about His character and nature and things of that nature. The problem that we run into so often is, is religion and different things, man's ideas, you know, get in the road, and then we don't really know God uh, uh, for who he really is. So thank God for his word because he's everything the word says that he is. And we can certainly rejoice in that. Just to pass quickly in review, we talked about the simple fact that, you know, growing in faith is a process. You know, when I first got saved, I didn't know much about God. You know, I had enough faith to get saved, but that was about it. But then I began to learn about him through his word. Everybody say through his word. Yeah, the only way you're going to come to know who God is is if you read the Bible. If you don't read the Word of God, you won't know. You know, and I was, you know, never read the Bible. I mean, I tried, but it wasn't worth a whole lot because that really wasn't, it didn't interest me. It was almost forced. <laughs> it was forced. <laughs> you know, it, it just wasn't on my radar. And then I got saved and I got hungry for God. And he got in me and all of a sudden I wanted to know. And so as I began to read the Bible, I began to understand more and more about his plan for my life, his purposes, what it is that he had done, so on and so forth. It was a game changer, changed my life. So uh, it's a process that all of us, you know, it's a, you could call it a journey if you want to, because I think everybody, you know, when you come to know Christ, then you start walking with him. You become a follower of him. And as you walk out his plan for your life, knowing what it is that, knowing his will for your life, then good things come your way. Because again, we just read the scripture, for he that comes to God must believe that he is or exists and that he is a rewarder. See, I didn't know God was a rewarder. I don't know about you, but you know, I mean, my understanding of God, there was nothing in the context of what I understood about him that had anything to do with his desire to reward me or to bless me, any of these kinds of things. But again, because of the Word of God, I came to know some things that I didn't know previously. So growing in faith, it's a process. The Apostle Paul makes reference to this in talking about the church and the people that were there in Thessalonica. 
when he said, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as it's right because your faith grows or is growing abundantly. King James says grows exceedingly. So there was a manifestation of their faith. I mean, it could be seen in their actions and what it was that they were doing. Paul uh, commended them for that. But growing in faith is a process that's based upon relationship. Everybody say relationship. Your faith will grow. There's assurance and confidence that comes as you grow in your relationship with God. And we use the example, of course, in the natural about how well you might know someone. And of course, if you've been married for many, many years, you know them pretty well, you know. And so you can confidently predict, if that's the right way to, you know, say it, uh, what it is that they would do, what it is they would say, how it is they would feel, you know, all of these different kinds. Why? Because you know them. You know, you've lived with them. You've conversed with one another. You have a relationship. Well, the same thing's true with God. And again, the relationship we have with him grows out of the Bible, the word of God. So I I was intrigued by this, just this concept in thinking about Abraham. He was 75 years old when God first approached him. And he said, get out from amongst your own countrymen. And he said, I'll take you to a land and, and I'll make great and mighty nation out of you. And the Bible says the next day he got up and hit the road. He believed God, what it is that he had approached him with. In other words, he had a word from God. He didn't have like the New Testament like we, we do, but he had a word from God and he said, yes. Well, we have a word from God right here. And all we need to do is say yes. So at 75, he takes off and starts this journey. And there are a lot of things that, you know, went on and this and that and the other. But at, at the same time, any time that God would visit to him or speak to him, he would reverently and humbly uh, recognize, you know, and acknowledge God's uh, involvement within his life. And many times he'd build altars wherever it is that he had these visitations or these encounters with God. And it, it gave shape and form to his life. And so they had this relationship as they moved on down the road, even to the extent where on one occasion God asked Abraham for his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Well, you know, that's a pretty big deal, obviously. And, uh, but it was only to prove or to test Abraham. Obviously, God doesn't condone, you know, human sacrifice or anything of that nature, but it was simply a question of whether or not he will do this, and he was fully capable and ready to do it. And uh, when he drew the knife, you know, uh, the angel interrupted him and said, don't do it, you know, and he said, I, you know, now I know. And he said, surely, blessing, I will bless you. And in other words, Abraham was willing to give everything to God, whatever it is that he asked, and because they were in covenant with one another. King James, or in the New Testament, it tells us that he basically, um, I guess you would say, reasoned within his own heart that if it was necessary, God would raise him from the dead, because he, he promised him that through Isaac, you know, his, the blessing of God and these nations would come from him. So he basically, again, it was a matter of obedience. How many of you know it's important to obey God? 
You know, I mean, he can tell you all kinds of things that he's promised and done this and that and the other. But if you don't obey him, then you're not going to enjoy the blessing of God in your life because it's a, again, it's a relationship. So the, they went down the road quite a long ways. And <clears throat> interestingly enough, the Bible says that he was in the plain of Mamre and, and God came with a couple different with with a couple angels and visited him there. He prepared a meal and this, this and that and the other. And and really the, the reason for the visit was to tell Abraham at at the appointed time of life that Sarah, his wife, was going to have a son. Remember when she was in the tent, she heard the conversation, she laughed, and, and, uh, you know, uh, the Lord said, why did you laugh? She said, I I didn't laugh. Well, she, she said that because she was afraid, because the Lord responded then and said, uh, no, you did laugh, you know. How many of you know (laughs) nothing gets by him, okay? And um, so anyway, but what's interesting about that, we're talking about relationship. Now, I don't believe that God had to tell Abraham anything, but he, he makes a statement. He says, shall I hide from Abraham that which I purpose to do? He didn't have to say anything to him or anything of that nature. It says, shall I hide from Abraham? This is in uh, Genesis chapter 18, verse 17. He said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing or knowing that Abraham shall surely become a great and a mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him. So in other words, they'd had these 25 years or 24, whatever you want to call it, of, of them building a relationship, God, you know, establishing a covenant with him and so on and so forth and knowing of who he was and character and things. That, he said, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him and they will keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So, in other words, he knew that Abraham was going to do the things that were necessary in order for the covenant to be realized, not only in his life, but his own children. Hallelujah. Again, this points to the simple fact that, you know, if you're going to enjoy the blessing of God, you've got to obey him. You've got to do the will of the Lord. Amen. And we'll maybe talk a little bit more about that. But it's interesting because... You know, again, they have this relationship. He asks the question, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I, you know, propose to do here? And then when Abraham found out what he was going to do, the Bible says that the angels began their, you know, uh, they made their, uh, they turned their faces toward Sodom and Gomorrah to find out what, you know, what was happening there. And uh, Abraham was walking with them kind of, you know, as a, um, you know, just being with them until they got to a certain point and, and that they would separate. But the Bible says these two men went on and then Abraham turned to the Lord and he said, would, will, you, will you destroy the righteous, you know, with the unrighteous? And he said, shall not the, the, the God of all the earth do that which is right? I mean, what if there were 50? So in other words, I'm saying to you that because of his relationship, and he did it with great reverence and humility. He said, may I just, you know, speak here? And he said, you know, I mean, what if there are 50 righteous people there? And the Lord said, well, if I can find 50, I won't do it. He went all the way down to 10. And the Lord, you know, finally said, if I can find 10 people there, I won't. Well, he couldn't even find 10. The only ones that made it out were, you know, Lot and his wife and the two girls, 
That's it. I mean, the husbands of the girls didn't even come. And then his wife turned around. She turned into a pillar of salt. And so we got three. Well, as a result, then, of course, in the conversation, and it was really the mercy of God that Lot got out because of God's relationship with Abraham. And I mean, the Bible says that if it hadn't been for that relationship that God had with uh, with Abraham, he'd probably been toast, too. Because he didn't want to leave. There was huge reluctance. And these angels, they had to snatch him up and said, hit the road. You know, go up into the mountains and so on and so forth. So, uh, But again, all of that is the result of relationships. So our Father in heaven, or our Heavenly Father in Abraham, built a relationship with one another through faith. Now listen, over time. God wants your faith to grow, and it has grown. You know you know a lot more now about your relationship with God and what it is that he can and will do for you than maybe when it is that you got started. So uh, it's important for us to understand that the number one way we build our relationship with God is through the word. And I'll reiterate the verse of scripture in John chapter 20 and verse 30. Uh, one where it says, but these are written, John made this statement, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So if people don't choose to believe what it is that's written, then they don't experience the life that Jesus came to give them. In other words, we call it unbelief or unpersuadableness, you know, kind of like the whole Thomas thing, you know, and uh, he said, don't be faithless, but believing, and uh, so on and so forth. So um, interestingly enough, um, and I'll I'll emphasize this if you would, turn to uh, Luke chapter 24 with me real quickly. Because um, I just, I kind of want to pound this uh, point in because of all the things that we can talk about when it comes to the subject of faith, at the end of the day, it's all about you believing what's written, okay? And all throughout the scriptures that we, we read, we discover that when it comes to any encounters or interactions that God had with people, he always points them to what it is that he has said, the promises that he has made. And so if we're to be helped in our own personal lives, then the same thing has to hold true with us. We've got to look to the Bible and find out what the will of the Lord is. Don't be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You know, probably one of the most damnable uh, doctrines that there are is the simple fact of people saying, well, you never can know what the will of the Lord is. I mean, after all, you know, he's sovereign, this and that and the other, and his ways are beyond ours. Well, granted, yes, he is God, the creator of heaven and earth, and he obviously knows a lot more than we do, but he has seen fit to reveal to us, amen, his will and his plan, so we can know the will of God. But notice with me here, this is the story about Jesus after his resurrection. Look at verse 25. Well, let's see. Yeah, 25. And Jesus, this is when he walked up uh, alongside the two guys on the road to Emmaus. And in verse 25, he says to them, O fools, and slow of heart. Now listen, to believe what? All that the what? Prophets 
have said. In other words, I told you these things were going to happen, but he said, O slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now notice it says, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He expounded unto them all the things uh, in where? The scriptures. You know, like we're, here we are living in, the, in um, the church age, in this dispensation we call the church age before the return of Christ. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, Christians, I mean, they don't, they're, they're not at peace. They're filled with anxiety, worry, care, all kinds of different kinds of things. And it's because we haven't chosen to believe what it is that he told us. You know, the disciples ask him, when will these, you know, when will this happen? When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And so Jesus goes into great detail and talks to us about the things that are going to, you know, take place on the earth. And they're happening. We're living in it. You know, now it's not pretty. I understand that part. But you also have to understand that he said that he would keep you. And that's what you need to look at. You know, the Bible says that our citizenship is in heaven and that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And God, you know, just take, for example, the example or the example we used earlier about Lot. I mean, because of Abraham's intercession in this situation, God preserved him alive, you know, and and uh, he escaped. So I'm not preaching some kind of an escape theology, but I can tell you this much about it, that if you're a believer and you have a relationship with God, he will keep you. He will absolutely keep you. And the Bible says only with your eyes shall you receive or, 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 or see the reward of the wicked. So you got to put yourself where you need to be, where your heart and things are concerned. Because the reality is, is that you're not in with them. You've been bought with a price. So trust him. Believe him. And walk in the light of that. And don't, don't trouble yourself or be worried about these things. So now, if you go on here, there was a lot of discourse and things that took place. But notice in verse 44, because this is important to the point we're, we're making here. In verse 44, he said to them, These are the words which I spake unto you. Jesus told them all these things. They just didn't really, they couldn't get their head wrapped around it or they didn't understand it or maybe they weren't, you know, I mean, however you want to define that. These are the words that I spoke to you or spake unto you while I was yet with you and all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the what? Scripture, 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 the Word, the Bible. And then it goes on to say, and he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that, or, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning in Jerusalem, and you guys are witness to these things. So I, again, you know, bring this 
uh, teaching um, about relationship and and how that's developed in the simple you know simple fact that if you want to have a relationship with God you're going to do it through the word and you're going to believe what it is that he said because he is true to his word and the reality is is God's word is true whether you believe it or not you know so let's just go ahead and believe it and then we won't have to you know experience some of the turmoil and all of the things that are going on in the world that we find ourselves so scripture is where faith begins the bible says faith cometh by hearing hearing by the word of god scripture is where god is known you know well you know i just you know i remember being with this guy he says you know this is my church we were out in the mountains you know we we're uh you know and and it's kind of like you know this is where god is well what are you talking about here? You worship in nature, you, you trees. I mean, what's what, what you know? In other words, it, it's 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 a head trip is essentially what it is. I can certainly appreciate being out in the mountains and being in the trees, but I can tell you what: God is everywhere, even in the most ugly parts of the world. Are you listening to me? But you know, people they get all weirded out on some of these things because, well, it's just religion. That's all it is. So. So scripture is where God is known. You want to know about him? You want to know about his character? You want to know about his nature? You want to know about his divine authority? You're going to find it in the Bible. Hallelujah. And, you know, I'm going to make this statement, and I, I know you'll understand what I mean by this, but many Christians have a relationship with God that's one-sided, their side. In other words, God, what can you do for me? Well, obviously, we have needs. There's no question about that. But how many of you know our relationship with him is a two-way street? And so it's important for us to understand that dynamic. I mean, you know, and, and I get it. It's human nature, I think, that, that, that kind of brings this out in our lives, you know, where, you know, people think that they can just kind of cherry pick, you know, um, the promises without obedience, They'd say something like this, well, I don't want to obey God. I just want him to bless me. Well, that's not the way it works. Will God bless you? Yes. Does he want to bless you? Yes. But he wants a relationship with you, and he wants to help you. He wants to bless you as a result of your obedience to him so that the curse doesn't come on you because of sin or wrongdoing or whatever junk you got going on in your life unforgiveness, jealousy, resentment, envy, all these things. How many of you know the Bible tells us to get rid of those things? Well, the Bible is God speaking to us, huh? He said, I can't, I can't fully bless and bring the blessing into your life when you think that you can live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It's just not the way it works. Now, a lot of folk, they don't like that, you know, and so they, you know, it's kind of like, well, uh, I either get to do this or I'm, I'm out. Well, then you're out. You know, that's all. It's better to be all in. I can tell you that. Hallelujah. So, so notice with me, again, I'm talking about us, you know, all of us as believers placing ourselves under the authority of our Heavenly Father and His Word. Look at Matthew chapter 8 with me. Turn over there. Matthew, the 8th chapter. Jesus was in a garden one time, and he said, Lord, if it's possible, please allow this cup to pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? Your will be done. I mean, it was agonizing. He knew. 
you know, what was in front of him. But thank God he also had the promise that God said that um, he would not see corruption and he would not be left in hell. So his body wouldn't see corruption. So they, Jesus knew, you know, I don't know what's all going to happen here, but I know, you know, within three days I'm coming back. Hallelujah. Amen. And, of course, he did just that. But here, notice with me this story. <clears throat> and uh, this is in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 10. Notice it says, this is about the Roman centurion. Notice what is stated here in verse 10. When Jesus heard what the centurion said, when he heard it, he marveled. And he said to them that followed, verily I say unto you, I have not found so, what's the next two words? Great faith, not even in Israel. I didn't know this. I was, I was listening to someone else, and he was talking about Dr. Roy Hicks. He's, he was a, a four-score gospel um, minister and pastor. And uh, matter of fact, when I first went to Ramah, uh, we had him for a week. I thought I died and went to heaven. He was, one of, he was the first guy that they invited to come to the school and teach. And uh, um, he's the one that told us, he said, you always have to preach out of your overflow, not out of your need. Huh? Well, one of the other things that he mentioned that, that uh, about this is he said there's only two people in all the New Testament where Jesus ever said they had great faith. Two, you know, small percentage, <laughs> you know. But he said, I've never seen such great faith, no, not in Israel. So uh, the reason I want to bring this to your attention is, is that, <clears throat> you know, we're talking about recognition and acknowledgement of God in a relationship that we have with him. So let's back up to the fifth verse here and notice what happens. Um, um, When Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came to him a centurion beseeching him. So he was, he had a battalion of a hundred men that were underneath him as a centurion, you know. And so the main thing you need to understand about this guy is that he understood authority. And, you know, if you're going to be a person of faith, then you need to understand, you know, structure of authority and that God is God in your life. And he knows whether you, whether you, um, Believe that, accept that, and walk in that, and when you don't. You can't, you can't spoof God. He knows all about your heart. So anyway, this guy, was uh, when he entered into Capernaum, there came to him a centurion beseeching him, and he said, Lord. Everybody say, Lord. So, so what's happening here? He's recognizing him for who he was. And he said, my servant lies home and sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said to him, well, I'll come and heal him. And the man then turned to him and said, Lord, again, I am not worthy. Think of the, recognize the reverence that he's showing to this man. And he, and he said, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant will be healed. So, so what's happening here? Well, let's go on. Let me read the rest of this because he, he explains it in verse 9. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
And so when Jesus heard it, that's when he marveled because, because of the understanding and the recognition. Because in other words, think of it this way. The Roman soldier, he had an authority within the Roman Empire because of the structure that was there. And there wasn't anybody underneath him that didn't do what he told them to do. Because in their world, you don't do what he, you're told to do, bye-bye. Uh, you're done. And everybody understood that. There was no, you know, uh, leniency, if that's the right word. And he said, I'm a man under authority, and I have soldiers under me. And I recognize that you have authority, and all you've got to do is say the word, and it'll happen. Isn't that awesome? You know, so the reason I bring that to your attention is, is that, again, it points to the simple fact that if you're not going to obey God and do the will of God where your life is concerned, you know, we harbor goofed up things, you know, about unforgiveness and stuff. We say, well, I just can't forgive them. It's it's not that's not true. Now, I know that there's pain and there's all kinds of things that are associated with these things. But, dude, you've got to guard your heart with all diligence. And that means you got to get rid of these things. You have to forgive. You have to pray for your enemies and so on and so forth, as the Bible tells you to do. Amen. You just have to determine, I'm doing life God's way. I'm not doing life my way. I'm doing it as he would. And I refuse to hold or harbor ill will toward anyone. It doesn't make any difference. It, 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 and the fact of the matter is, is this is too costly if you do, God's wanting to get the blessing into your life, and yet you're hanging on to this or that or the other, and he can't. It's just that simple, you know, and it isn't God's fault, you know, although we want to blame him, hallelujah. But again, the centurion recognized Jesus' authority, and he reverenced it. He revered it. You, you know, a lot of people in, the, in Christendom today, I mean, they, they take the things of God cafeteria style. They show up to church when they want to, when it's convenient. There's no, there's no devotion. No, I shouldn't say no. There's little devotion. Listen, you guys, we're living in the last days. Jesus stands at the threshold of his coming. And there's so many things that are going on in the world. And he has called us as a people to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I realize, you know, when you get saved, you, you know, uh, you come out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you lose all your flaky, funky friends because your friends become believers. But yet, right on the other hand, he still gives us opportunity to recognize and see needs in people's lives that we as believers need to respond to. Can you say amen? We can't be selfish about it. We just got to get busy, you know, and do what it is that he wants us to do because, again, time is short. Hallelujah. You know, uh, talking about the centurion and what he recognized where Jesus' authority was concerned and, and his reverence for that, even Jesus himself did the very same thing with regard to his relationship with his father and our father. He makes that statement in John chapter 5 and verse 19. They'll have it up on the screen for you probably. Jesus answered, said to them, Verily I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, for whatsoever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. And then in verse 30, he says, I can of my own self do nothing, but as I hear I judge, 
and my judgment is just. Why? Because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. So he was subject to his Father and the plans and the purposes that God had. And so you have to be the same way. You know, I mean, if God calls you to start a church, then you better start a church. If God calls you, you know, to be a good, you know, uh, church worker in the nursery, then you ought to be a good church worker in the nursery. You know, somebody that can be relied on, somebody that can be faithful, that will be faithful and show up, you know, um, and so on and so forth. Are you listening to me? Because that's where the blessing of God is. How many of you believe that tonight? Amen. So, um, this is how relationship with God works. It's, it's, it's not some false pseudo-religious head trip with God, man. Dude, it's, it's a relationship of the heart that we have with him. You know, to say, Lord, not my will, your will be done. How is it that you would have me to live? What is it that you would have me to do? Amen. And, and there's, I mean, it's the greatest thing that you can do. It's the smartest thing that you can do, you know, uh, uh, when you make these decisions. So uh, anyway, I trust that'll be a blessing to you. Now let's, let's change gears here a little bit and let's move over to Mark's gospel, uh, chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. <clears throat> Y'all glad you came tonight? We're just talking about how to grow in faith. And a big part of that is, is starting out, which is saying, okay, God, enough about me. What do you want me to do here? Amen. That's, that's a good prayer. Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, that went over big. Good. All right. <clears throat> Here's a story that you're familiar with. I preached on it many times, but I want to unpack it or at least get started with it tonight before. Uh, actually, I won't be here next week, uh, next Wednesday night. Uh, somebody else will be in the pulpit, but then I'll be back live and in color probably on the 20. Uh, 9th, I guess it would be the last uh, Sunday or last Wednesday in February, but the 21st, I believe uh, somebody else will be here. So anyway, notice with me if you would. <clears throat> and by the way, uh, you know, isn't it a great message that Pastor Brian got started on uh, you on the right path? That's a good one, man. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm looking forward to what, uh, what next Sunday brings. But anyway, let's go back to this. Let's start in verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if perhaps, or happily, he might find anything thereon. And he, uh, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said to it, to the tree, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Hmm. So let's drop down to verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said to him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering said to them, have faith in God, or have the God kind of faith. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever, everybody say whosoever. I want to preach a message sometime on whosoever and whatsoever, what was that? What, what did you come up with? The, you, you used two different words, anything and everything, or anybody and everybody, anyone and, anyone and anything. That'd be a good message to preach. But notice anyway, he said, whosoever 
shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And this would be our text. <laughs> Anyone and anything. Therefore, I say unto you, verse 24, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, what we see here is I, I, I think this was nothing more than a teachable moment for Jesus with his disciples where he cursed the fig tree. And basically what he was showing to them is the simple fact that our faith is revealed or released through our words. He spoke to an inanimate object, said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. They heard it, and that tree died, okay? And so God and Jesus, both, and you, we all release our faith through our words, the things we say, whosoever shall say, okay? And so it's important for us, you know, if you look in creation, you know, in the book of Genesis, God said, let there be light. There was light. Let the firmaments let, you know, so God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, let us make man in our own image. So everything, you know, that we understand, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven three, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that that which is seen was not made by that which appears. So in other words, God called those things which be not as though they were. He spoke the world into existence. In other words, he released his faith, just as Jesus did in this case, through his words. And the same thing's true where you and I are concerned. So he's teaching his disciples and saying, you're going to have this power too. That's really what he was saying to them. He said, you know, have faith in God because I'm telling you, Whosoever will say and shall not doubt, but shall believe, he'll have whatever he says. And therefore, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive and you'll have them. And so, again, he's teaching this simple lesson that you will have this power too. In Ephesians 3 and 20, the Bible says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think according to the power of that works in us. So the same power is available for you as a believer as it is with you know me or anybody else for that matter in this case. So you have to understand there's two different things in these verses that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the command of faith and he's talking about the prayer of faith, okay? The command of faith and the prayer of faith. He said, whosoever shall say, not doubt, just as he did in the case of this uh, fig tree, it was a command of faith. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And it died. But then he went on in the 24th verse and said, therefore, what things soever you desire when you pray, so now we're talking about the prayer of faith, what things soever you desire when you pray, again, believe that you receive them, 
and you will have them. So there's a distinction there, and I really want to talk more about the command of faith and than the prayer of faith in our subject and what we're talking about here. But uh, here's an example of Jesus where he says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Now, here's another example. This happened when uh, he was uh, doing ministry in some other location. They sent word to him and said, Lazarus, your friend is sick, you know, and he's about to die. Well, the Bible says, this is in John chapter 11, verse 3, it says, therefore his, his sister sent to him, Lord, behold, uh, the person you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, now he didn't say, wait a minute, time out, we need to pray for Lazarus because he ain't doing so good. He didn't do that. He gave a command of faith and said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. And you know the whole story. I mean, he went back three or four days later and so on and so forth. And uh, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. So, you have to understand that you will have what you say, positive or negative, whatever you believe in your heart. You know, a lot of people, they don't believe much, you know, and so that's all they ever say. Well, I never get this. I never do that. God never helps me, I, you know, and, and all it comes out. Why? Because that's what they believe. And so it never happens. I mean, how many of you know you can change that? You can say, thank God I know the Lord is on my side, and therefore I'm not going to fear what man can do to me. Hallelujah. The Lord said he'd make me the head and not the tail, that I'd be above only and not beneath. We're going over, not under. Hallelujah. You know, in other words, there's a different, there's a different conversation that's being you know, had or said or stated. And I'm not talking about some mind over matter kind of thing. I'm talking about you aligning yourself uh, or your words up with what God said. Are you with me? So he just said, this sickness isn't unto death, but for the glory of God. Well, Lazarus died, but you know, Jesus raised him up. So faith doesn't work without you speaking it, saying it. Faith is released by your words. It's released by your actions. You know, James goes into a great deal of uh, explanation about that. You know, people say they got faith. Well, show me your faith by what you do. And, you know, or yeah, you get it. In other words, there's got to be action applied to this. And so, but <clears throat> here's the thing about that, and this is important. You can't speak it if it's not first in your heart. And people, a lot of people try to do that. Well, you know, the pastor just said, I got to name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, baby, I'm in, you know. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. You have to first have it, you, you know, you can't speak it if it's not first within your heart. These things were within his heart. When, that, when, that te when the report came, he addressed it. Caleb did the same thing. You know, the Bible says that 10 of his, guy, his friends brought up an evil report, and he stood up and said, let us go up at once. We are well able to do this. You know, it wasn't like, okay, well, let's have a prayer meeting and see if we really, no. He gave a command of faith. We can do this. He had another spirit. What did he have? He had a spirit of faith. Why? Because God had spoken, and thank God he believed it. Are you with me? And the same thing's true where your life and mine is concerned. So <clears throat> you, you get it in your heart before you need it. So when you do, <laughs> you'll just go get it. You know? What was it that Charles Cap? Somebody said, if you feed your heart faith when you don't need it, 
your heart will feed you faith when you do. And that's true. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amen? Um, <clears throat> so you, if, get it in your heart before you need it so when you do, you just go get it. And I've used this example, you know, when I first started dating Joan, she took me down in the basement, not to kiss me, but I know she really wanted to, but, you know, she showed me, uh, well, it wasn't really a showing. I don't even know why we're down there. We just went down there and I seen their pantry. And this thing was just stocked with everything, anything and everything. Of course, you know, they're living out in the country, you know, and mobilities and things of that nature weren't like maybe what they were today and accessibility to things and whatever. And so when her mom would go to town, dude, she would, I mean, she wouldn't buy just what she needed. She would buy several of the same things so that she could stock the pantry so that whatever need arose, she'd have what it is you know it's just like we had the super bowl my wife and i are watching the ball you know and i bought you know some sausage i bought some cheese and i'm you know standing in the aisle i said well i don't i don't need any crackers because we should have some of those at home well we did have thank god she found some you know but you know it was touch and go there for a minute so what I'm just saying is, is in our lives, if we feed our heart faith and we get full, then when we need it, at the time when we need it, we'll have what it is because our, our pantry is well stocked. Does that make sense to you? And we can just do that. Now, I'm going to give you a couple examples of this that, that happened uh, um, in our lives, and one of which had to do with a bunch of thieves, and you know, the Bible tells us that if the devil gets found out, he's got to repay you sevenfold. And you know, how many of you know thievery is of the devil? It's absolutely of the devil. And you can ask my son about this, but um, this was, I don't know, they were actually in school and um, they had come home. Uh, I don't know if it was a break or whatever, because you didn't go back, did you? Oh, summer break. And uh, they had an apartment there in, in Broken Arrow, and my Brian, Pastor Brian, and my son Greg were living together. <clears throat> Sunday afternoon, I don't know why. You know, the devil's always trying to ruin your day of rest. You know, we're just minding our own business, and I'm probably laying on the living room floor, you know, trying to catch up or whatever, sleep. And, uh, and all of a sudden, they get a call. One of them did. And uh, one of their friends down in Tulsa said, hey, somebody broke into your apartment, and they stole everything. And uh, so whichever one it was told me what was said. And I'm telling you guys just... God is my witness, up out of my innermost being, I just said, no, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there will not be anything taken from us. And they, devil, you bring it back in the name of Jesus Christ. And I don't know what all happened, but it just come out of me. You know, I'm sure that my kids were wondering, uh-oh, what happened to dad? You know, so the next day <clears throat> we jumped in the plane, Greg and I did, because we had to go fill out a, a police report. And so we jumped in the plane, we flew down there and uh, um, got, you know, got a car, went to the apartment and, um, and we're looking around, sure enough, you know, uh, they came in through one of the back windows. I don't remember if they broke it or whatever. Uh, but anyway, they got in and they took all of the good stuff, you know, like computers and different things, any kind of, I don't know if they had gaming devices and this and that and the other. And, uh, um, but stuff that had value, it was, uh, they had taken it out. 
well, we're looking all over because we're probably going to have to put up a, you know, a, a this and that and the other, you know, a report of things, you know, listed as missing. And we got to looking around and Greg was looking around. And he says, Dad, you got to you need to come out here. And so I went out on the patio in the back and all the stuff that they had taken or stolen from the apartment was all stacked up and sitting up against the house, the outside wall of the house. And it was all, as a matter of fact, everything was there for the exception of a shotgun plus a, a, a PlayStation that didn't even belong to us. So we're, you know, doing pretty good here. So the police come and the officer was there and we were explaining to them, you know, and he walked through and he could see, you know, this and that and the other. And, and I said, but, but here's the thing, officer. I said, you need to come out here and take a look at this. And so he goes out there and all this stuff is stacked up, up against the house underneath the, you know, overhang of the patio. And he goes, I ain't never seen nothing like this before. Why? Because thieves don't bring stuff back, you know. But I'm telling you, everything was there for the exception of this shotgun. And I looked my son, Greg, in the eyes and I said, they're going to bring that back too in the name of Jesus. Because it, it was a family kind of, an, you know, it belonged to my dad and I wanted to pass it on to these guys. And so it had more sentimental value than it had anything. So I think... I don't know uh, how it all kind of shook out, but I don't know if they both went back or one of them went back. Maybe Greg went back. He was working for fine airport parking. But anyway, um, uh, one day um, he got ready to leave to go to work or whatever. This would have been in, in uh, probably a week's period, maybe something like that. And he got ready to go. And, and so he opens up the door, opens up the screen door. He's walking out and the shotgun is leaning up against the wall in the corner right by the storm door. And so we got everything back. I said, we got everything back. I'm telling you what, the devil's a liar. He can't steal, you know, he can't, he can't take your stuff if you won't let him. But I can tell you this much about that. I mean, if I, I, I have to believe that if I hadn't sown the word of God within my heart, then I probably would have rolled over on the floor and said, well, that's gone. I guess I'm going to have to come up with more money, you know, or whatever the case might be. And it, it didn't turn out that way. Now on another, and I'm going to close with this story. On another occasion, on a Sunday afternoon, I'm laying on the floor in our living room, minding my own business, probably watching I don't know what, you know. But anyway, um, we're laying there. And all of a sudden, I think Joan, you know, maybe uh, came to life first on the deal and um, because it was bad weather and there was a tornado and it had come down out of the sky to the southwest of our house and I would say it was probably less than a quarter of a mile from the house. So much so that there was all kinds of stuff flying and flopping up against the house and Joan was saying, everybody get in the basement, get in the basement, you know? And uh, Greg and another friend, we can ask Steve Winchell. <laughs> <laughs> he was there, uh, and uh, and uh, instead of going down the basement, um, Steve and Greg were up when she was coming down, and and um, it was a tornado, man. And this thing is heading right for our house, and we had a, a sliding glass door, 
uh, to the south of our uh, living room, and I stood up in that door and I said, no, in the name of Jesus, you know, and um, I don't know what else I said, you know, I don't know how it came out, but so this thing, literally, and you can ask my whole family, I'm not trying to make up on this, talking about the command of faith, you got authority that you, you need to realize belongs to you. And this thing lifted up into the sky and disappeared. And then it went over our house and came back down on the ground and sat there and rotated. So my kid is out there with a camera, you know, <laughs> recording all this. But I went out there, man, I stood on this. We had cut down this great big tree, you know, because it died or whatever the case was. And I stood out there and I said, no, in the name of Jesus Christ, you will not destroy anything that belongs to us. And the thing sat there for a while. And then it took off. It went up uh, Silver Creek. And two miles to the north, it, it destroyed uh, this farmhouse and the whole farmstead, as a matter of fact, and uh, this and that. So I only use those examples to simply say to you, man, if you got it on the inside of you, when it violates the will of God, it'll come out of you and you'll put a stop to whatever it is that's going on. And you can stand in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? So it's important for us to get in the book and let the book what? Get in us. And then that way when you need it, you know. I mean, here's the thing, you guys. The Bible is filled with stories where people resisted circumstances in their lives that were inconsistent with the will of God. Are you with me? A lot of, uh, you know, religion doesn't teach this. Religion tells you, well, you just got to take it as it comes, man. I mean, you know, it's just kind of the way it is, you know, I mean, and, and, but nothing really could be further from the truth. Are you with me? Because when you know what the will of God is, praise God, you can take authority over and resist in the name of Jesus those things that come your way uh, that are not his, you know. So, you get that? We have to quit, say to five, and there are cupcakes that await us. Why don't you stand with me? Did y'all get something out of this tonight? You know, we'll talk some more about this. And again, it'll be toward the end of the month before I have a chance to get back to it because I've got some other stuff here that will really bless you. Hallelujah. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight. Glory to God. Thank you for what it is that you've done. The redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, that you redeemed us from the curse being made a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham could come on us. I thank you, Father, we can resist poverty and lack. We can stand against sickness and disease. We can call on the name of the Lord, Father, for deliverance and salvation. And, Father, you will hear from heaven and respond to the need. And so we just thank you for helping us, Father, to appropriate the, kind, the God kind of faith through a relationship that we have with you that brings confidence, that brings assurance, hallelujah, that brings conviction where our lives are concerned so that no evil shall come nigh our dwelling, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of God on the people of God here tonight and those watching online. Father, help us to grasp these truths with our hearts. 
so that, Lord, we can live the kind of life that you have called us to live. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you so very, 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 very much. Hallelujah. For your blessing in our lives. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen? amen. All right. Why don't you go ahead.